Good morning, everyone. It's uh, so good of you to have me back again. I have always enjoyed coming here and uh, looking at you all, and uh, this is uh, wonderful. And Andrew has very kindly uh, asked me to see if I would uh, share a little bit about Myanmar. I'll be really brief about it. Uh, I, uh, uh, I think you know that uh, Myanmar is a lot in the news uh, uh, nowadays, and uh, it has been quite sad for a lot of the people that we have been serving. But let me just give you a very quick introduction of Myanmar. <coughs> As you can see, uh, this is uh, towards our north of our country, Australia, and uh, just uh, around, surrounded by India, China, uh, Laos, and Thailand. Uh, it's a uh, it's a country that is uh, more than 60 million people with a lot of ethnic groups and uh, with the different colors there uh, probably uh, partially representing some of the ethnic groups. The main group of uh, 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 the people in Myanmar is the uh, uh, Burma group, or they call them the Burmese, uh, and that's their main language as well. The Lord calls me to Myanmar uh, 33 years ago, uh, and uh, I have been in and out of that country for uh, the initial 10, 15 years, and then took a break uh, as I served full-time in China, and then I came back again in uh, year 2000 and uh, about 13 years ago, 14 years ago, 2020, yeah. Uh, 2010, sorry, my maths is terrible. <coughs> and uh, so... Uh, and, and in that time, uh, the, because of uh, ongoing conflicts among all these ethnic groups and the Burmese government, the junta, uh, the military, uh, there have been a lot of deaths, uh, a lot of uh, poverty, a lot of diseases uh, in especially those ethnic minorities. Uh, so we have, uh, and it's, it's another story that I would tell you about how the Lord actually prompted me to go back to to Myanmar, and basically just before, uh, at that stage, Kevin Rudd and uh, and others, uh, uh, dignitaries and 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 presidents, uh, uh, secretary of states, and all that, started to go into Myanmar. Months before that, a few months before that, the Lord just prompted my heart, and uh, and uh, basically said, uh, and I could hear it uh, that in my heart, that son, it is time to go back to Myanmar. So that's what we did. That's what, uh, the church has been, uh, my church uh, at Bowen has always been uh, uh, walking side by side together with us uh, as we uh, went into Myanmar in 2010. We have started to focus on uh, the uh, underprivileged people, especially young people and their family, and basically uh, the, on their education, their basic needs, uh, as well as um, through the lives uh, we work with the local people, local people who have already given their life to do this. We walk side by side with them, uh, through them sharing the gospel, the light of Christ, and then follow up by uh, training, mentoring, and discipleship. And from there, a lot of unreached people groups have been reached, and uh, uh, people uh, have uh, uh, churches have been planted for one group, for example, called the the An or the Palung uh, people. Uh, when we first started working with them, there would be probably about six people who are Christians. 
uh, and now we have uh, more than 100 churches uh, planted uh, in the last decade. So praise the Lord for that. And what we do is that we would start uh, finding partners, uh, local partners, who have been uh, giving their own lives and their own time, often in their own house, uh, to uh, to get kids who are very disadvantaged to either live in their house or come to their house every day and give them some food, give them some tuition and needs. We came in and we will walk side by side with them. And we call these centers Precious Students Centers. Uh, and uh, now we got about four, 45 of them ongoing. Each center has grown also in numbers. Uh, usually there will be at least 35, 40 kids, uh, and some of them as many as 300 kids. And uh, so we, we serve uh, a few thousand. I conservatively say it's more than 1,500. Uh, they serve um, a, a few thousand, uh, and we walk side by side with them. So I'm just going to focus on the uh, Precious Student Center's work. Uh, there are other works as well uh, that we do in Myanmar. That's Myanmar with all these different states. And uh, these are the centers. So you can see it's all over uh, the place uh, in Myanmar. And uh, I don't expect you to be able to read this, but uh, all the different tribes in Myanmar uh, as well as reaching high school, primary schools, colleges, uh, as well as uh, uh, running classes for them. If we were to then put the map that I just showed earlier, uh, you would see that, uh, in fact, all these colors here is, uh, is, is actually representing the very uh, different, the various different uh, ethnic armies that have been fighting the Junta. And you can see that they are often around the, the border area uh, and uh, towards the south as well. Uh, the green areas are controlled by the current military government. Uh, but the fighting has intensified since October last year, uh, and uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Uh, but as a result of the fighting, a lot of uh, kids have been uh, affected. They don't, they don't go to school anymore. Uh, the, the colleges and universities have been shut down, basically, uh, in practice. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, we, 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 we have m uh, quite a few situations where we have to vacate uh, the kids from a particular center because bullets are flying and bombs are dropping around them. And we have had injuries to our kids from shrapnels from the, from the bombs, but uh, praise the Lord, no deaths from it. Uh, as a result, uh, medical care is uh, hardly existing now, uh, and uh, especially if you are not part of the government people, uh, the hospitals are often only for those privileged for uh, to go there. So it's a very, very difficult time, but we can see that uh, the joy of serving by our local people, uh, even in the midst of all this. And if you, if I were to put the uh, precious student centers, you can see that a lot of them are in the war zone. Let me just give you a few photographs of what we do. Uh, the kids who come to the uh, student center every day, uh, we have centers in their village, 
uh, and uh, they will uh, be there for about one and a half to two hours, usually between four o'clock to 5.30. Uh, we'll give them a, a simple meal perhaps, uh, but definitely we will spend time uh, with them, uh, doing homework with them, and then mentoring them as well, encouraging them in this difficult time. Unfortunately, with the war going on, more and more of those kids have lost their homes. And so, in fact, more than half of these thousands of uh, kids are now living inside the, uh, uh, the, uh, cent- uh, the centers. Uh, I have to take my head off to all those pastors and teachers uh, who are so dedicated to Christ uh, that they would take them in uh, and look after them despite their own poverty, despite the limited space that they have in their own house. Uh, we also uh, go for uh, we also minister to the to to the college students uh, uh, who are not attending colleges but uh, we they live in uh, because of the situation uh, and uh, a lot of mentoring goes on most of the center in fact I think all of the center would have morning prayers for the kids together as a group as well as evening prayers and devotion uh, and then you have small groups as well and then on Sundays uh, kids uh, whether you're Christians or not they often would come to the Sunday school and often with their parents as well and they become uh, uh, exposed to the gospel through it. The other thing that is important is that uh, we run student life camps uh, where kids will come for four days or so and we would share the gospel with them. This is the opportunity especially for uh, us from overseas, from my church, we would go every year uh, until COVID hits and now until, uh, with the war going on we're not going uh, but otherwise every year and we would then uh, uh, share our lives and our testimonies with the kids. And in those uh, uh, Life camp, the kids just magnetize to 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 Christ, and and they often um, almost all of them would would, uh, would give themselves uh, uh, to to believe in the Lord, and uh, there is a constant stream of baptisms of uh, these young people, uh, and uh, every week uh, we would hear reports and photographs like these of uh, uh, students uh, and their parents coming to Christ. And what really uh, warmed my heart is that we take kids such as these, very poor, from a very poor background. We take them into town so that they can study, uh, go to the higher education. A lot of the towns have no schools or only primary schools. And then uh, uh, a few years later, and we've been doing this precious student for quite a few years now, we see them transform. And this is how they look like uh, a few years later. They become men and women uh, after the God, of, after the heart of God, and uh, they become good leaders uh, in their communities, and we pray in their countries as well. One day, so I think that's all. I, oh no, okay, final slide. Uh, this is all done in partnership with uh, in Christ uh, with our partners, and the important thing here is uh, what we do. Uh, we would. Uh, uh, oops, sorry. Can I go back? Yeah, we would uh, touch. I think that's the most important thing. When I say touch, I'm not just talking about physical presence. I'm talking about a heart-to-heart linked up. It's, a, it's like God, even before He came, He already touched. You know, He already has a heart for us. And, and that's the first thing that we, we, we do. To touch, we pray with them, and they pray for us. When I have a crisis, you know who is the first person I ask to pray for? 
the orphans of Myanmar. They are very effective prayers. We encourage them nowadays with uh, uh, internet, WhatsApps, emails. It's really easy to link up. Networking, we provide different resources, including uh, expertise. For example, some of them uh, have agriculture problems or business and, uh, things that they want us to help with. We give them financial support and other resource supports as well. We go and then we share, we teach, we learn, and we join. As we touch, we join as well, hearts to hearts. So that's a really brief, quick summary of uh, 30 years of work. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 I thank you, Andrew, for giving me the opportunity to share. And uh, in partnership, I uh, give uh, credits and thanks to the Lord. Uh, and I also thank you for the uh, local partners as well as our church pastor, Pastor Nathaniel, uh, and our uh, church members who often uh, really wholeheartedly support all this. I want to now go into this uh, uh, passage that you have given me, First Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, verses uh, 11 to uh, the first 12 verses of First Thessalonians. Now, Paul told the Thessalonians how they should live to please God. It is a message that uh, I have to hear, and, uh, and it really spoke to me as I studied this passage over the last few weeks. Uh, you probably know this already, but very quickly, uh, the background of Thessalonians. Uh, Thessalonia is, uh, Thessalonica is uh, one of the three port cities uh, mentioned in the Bible in Macedonia, uh, and uh, that Paul visited during his second missionary uh, journey. Uh, today it sits still as part of Greece, called Greek uh, Macedonia, and it's actually the second largest city of Greece. Uh, Macedonia with uh, te- uh, Philippi, uh, uh, Thessalonica, and uh, Berea uh, are actually very special cities uh, to, to, to Paul uh, because, uh, they're, because they're special to God's heart. If you still remember during the second journey of Paul, Paul was uh, going along deep from here, from um, Asia Minor, and Antioch, by the way, is here, into this today's Turkey. And as he was thinking of going to the east, to the north and to the northeast, there was a Macedonian corp. The Holy Spirit prevented them from going that way, and he started going this way until he got to Troas, and another town here, across the other side of the sea. And then he got this vision, someone calling him and his people to come to Macedonia to preach the gospel to us. And so he went. After he uh, went to Philippi, he was thrown in jail. As you know the story, he was singing in that jail, and then the earthquake, and then the, he, the door opened, and, uh, and the jailer and his family came to Christ. After that, he went to Thessalonica. When Paul got to Thessalonica, he went to the synagogue, and uh, he spent three Sabbaths at the synagogue. So really, Paul was in uh, Thessalonica only for three weeks. And during the time he preached and he shared and he reasoned in the synagogue, a lot of uh, the Jews rejected him, but there were a a few Jews and a a large number, the Bible says, a large number of uh, non-Jews, God-fearing Greeks. 
uh, and a few prominent women uh, were persuaded and they believed. But the other Jews became jealous. They stirred the things up, stirred the crowd up, forcing uh, uh, Paul and Silas to run away uh, in the middle of the night from that town. And from there, Paul went down uh, south to, uh, to Athens and then over to Corinth. And it was when Paul was in Corinth uh, that he uh, wrote this letter to, uh, Thessal- to the Thessalonians, the first uh, letter of the Thessalonians. You would imagine that Paul would probably be only about uh, two months at most uh, away from uh, that place. And those Christians who have been become Christian will be only about two months old, uh, if you uh, spiritually. And so Paul was quite concerned about that. Uh, and uh, uh, these people who have just come to faith within the last few weeks, and who mostly come from a background where they are not all that familiar with the Scripture. There's a deep concern that you can sense and the love of Paul. In fact, uh, in the verses before the passage we read today, and you have uh, heard about this uh, last week or the week before, in uh, chapter 3, verse 7 and 9, this is how Paul uh, uh, says that when we read from Timothy, you see, Timothy, Paul left him at uh, Thessalonica for a little while, and before Timothy came down and joined him in uh, in Athens and in uh, Corinth, uh, he said that when Timothy came, when I heard the report from Timothy about your firm faith, of these believers, Paul said, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our own distress and our own persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live. You know, Paul was hanging there as if he was dying. We really live now, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we have in the presence of our God because of you? You see how much Paul touched, how much Paul joined with these people. These people that Paul was going to go the other way, but God said, you go this way. And Paul said, I am really living now because of your faith. I am really rejoicing now because you have Stay strong in the Lord. So in that sort of excited, joyous, thankful heart, Paul wrote the words that we have just read. Thank you for your reading. Uh, this uh, really good reading. Thank you. And I am putting this up there. I know it's, the words are a bit small, but I'm trying to squeeze everything into one slide. The reason I'm trying to squeeze everything in one slide is because I want you to have an overall picture of these few verses that we read. I have put them, oh, the color doesn't go up very well. I'm sorry about that. Uh, I, this is actually one color, and then towards the end, there's actually another color. These two blocks, I'll try and uh, talk about it in one block, and then verse 13, and this middle block here is another block. Okay, and that's why I have put it up for you uh, in, in the one slide. Basically, Paul started with a prayer. There is a prayer in the first two verses of this passage. And Paul said that, you know, in verse 11, which you heard about, I think, Pastor Keith last week, night and day, uh, that uh, uh, we pray earnestly for you, Paul said. And the prayer that Paul has been praying night and day is that, may the Lord make you love, make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Your love. 
And then what's the other thing that Paul prayed for? May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy. In the presence of our God, Father, when our Lord Jesus Christ was with all his holy people. Living with love, living in holiness. That's what Paul was praying for them. That's what Paul, that's what the Lord was saying to me uh, as I read this. How am I going to live with love? How am I going to live in God's holiness? And then Paul would then went go on and explain in the last block of this reading about your love. As he prayed, he gave them guidance and instruction. And as then later on, the second part of this uh, uh, sharing that I have with you, where he's going to talk about your holiness. How can you be sanctified, holy and honorable? Living with love. I think you notice that in verse 12, uh, Paul says, you, have, you are to live. We, I pray for you to live with overflowing love. It's a life oozing out with love. If a life that the love is so much that it just overflows. For a young Christian. For a new Christian. I ask myself, and I ask you, what does that look like for you? How does that look like for me? Does that describe how I live, how we live? Does that describe how this community live? So much love in your DNA that it just has to be expressed. Paul also said that this love is a love that grows. A love that grows, may the Lord make your love increase, he says. You see, God is love. He overflows with love. And that's why Paul's prayer is that we overflow with love, just like God does. God immerses us in his gracious love. He expresses his heart of love in incredible loving acts for us. Thessalonians, my beloved new brothers and sisters, Paul said, we mirror that because we are the new creation in his image. Verse 9 of the passage of chapter 4 said that we have been taught by God himself to love. You have been taught by God himself to love. We learn about love because we have inherited, we have got the nature of God in us. We learn how to love because we saw it from God's words. We learn it from God's words. We learn it from God's actions, God's deeds. And we learn it from God's heart. God's heart of love, Thessalonians, is not just for you. God's love for us, as we will see. Who are we to love? Paul says in verse 9, uh, and then in verse three of uh, verse twelve of chapter three, that we are to love each other. We are to love each other. You know, whether or not this brother is a bit of a pain in the neck, you know, we love. Yes, Paul says this is how Christ loves. We love one another. But Paul said that beyond that, you love 
all of God's family, as we see in verse 10 of uh, all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Love everyone. That's verse 12 of chapter 3. In fact, Paul says to them in verse 10 that you do love. You do love. They already they are seeing that these new Christians are loving. And five years later, Paul actually talked about this. When Paul was, in, uh, was writing the letter to uh, Corinthians again, uh, in the second Corinthians, chapter 8, Paul says this. He says uh, in his second letter to the Corinthians, uh, he, he said to the Corinthian church, who, which by the way is a very talented church, quite a rich church, in contrast to the Macedonians, who are Greek people living in that area, uh, some of them probably been migrants, uh, and uh, they're not very, they don't didn't come from government or very rich positions. And Paul said to this uh, second, uh, uh, in the second Corinthian, he's actually trying to, almost trying to shame the Corinthian church using the Macedonian church as an example. And this is why he said, now, uh, brothers and sisters, okay, and he's talking to the Corinthian church. He said, uh, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 2 says, in the midst of a very severe trial, they're overflowing, that same word, they're overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty well up, overflowing well up in rich generosity. For I testify that you give as much as they were ever, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Paul or Silas or Timothy did not ask them to, but they did it entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. You know, the love of these new Christians, by that stage when Paul wrote Second Corinthians, it would be only five years old. And they have been doing this for a while now. The, 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 the people in Jerusalem, the Jewish uh, Christians in Jerusalem were very poor. They were going through a famine, a difficult time. And Paul was uh, marshalling uh, uh, churches around to try and give uh, financially uh, food and all that to these uh, brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. But the response was probably lukewarm from the Corinth rich church. But instead, in contrast, the Macedonian churches, they have rose, risen up uh, to, to the challenge. They have pleaded to be part of all this. The love of these new believers, we can see, is deep, is sacrificial, is heart-driven, is cheerful, is passionate, urgent, and practical. What does my love look like? Is my love something that I just hold in my heart, in my mind perhaps? Not like the Macedonians going out, pleading that I can be overflowing my love to these people. These people who are not part of our church. These people who are not even part of uh, the Greek-speaking people in Macedonia. These people are not even part of the Macedonians. These people are far away across the Mediterranean Sea, people that we have never seen. Not even Gentiles. 
another race. Who has been persecuting us? But let our love overflow. It was a very practical love. Could Paul say the same about me, about us, as he did with the church in Macedonia? My mission journey actually started uh, when I started, uh, was called to go to Cambodia. That's another long story. And uh, I actually ended up starting an English school. I don't know whether I've shared this with you before, but if I have, I beg your pardon. Uh, I was uh, Cambodia, uh, Phnom Penh was the capital city. I was really poor. It just started opening up after uh, uh, Pol Pot has been conquered. Uh, and that was in the early 1990. Uh, in fact, it was 1990. And uh, I was in a hotel, just an ordinary hotel. And uh, one day I came down uh, the escalator uh, to the lobby of the hotel. Uh, and uh, I, uh, uh, I saw in the lobby uh, two very nicely dressed girls, you know, 12 years old maybe, 13. Uh, and, uh, in the lobby, and I said to myself, that's unusual for Cambodian girls uh, to be uh, in the lobby like this. And then as I was uh, thinking about this, I saw two Chinese businessmen came and took the girls, went up the escalator the other way, passing me up to their rooms. My heart broke. I was supposed to meet a friend. I could not. I went back to my room. I knelt down, and I cried. And I cried. That's how it all started. And then God spoke to me, and I went, and we, we were ever six of us, opened a school, an English school for kids, for girls who have uh, gone astray, who have been picking rubbish from the rubbish dumps. Uh, and we have about 60 of them. I saw them through the six years of education uh, in English, uh, and, uh, and uh, that was the start. Jesus said when he, he was at the synagogue in Nazareth, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The poor is so special to the heart of God. We are in Australia like the Corinth Church, really. Our love has to be practical, has to be urgent, has to be heart-driven, has to be God-like. It has to overflow. We can go, we can touch, we can encourage, we can pray, we can give. And more than that, Paul says, I want you to do this more and more. More and more. Hey, Macedonians, you're already doing great. But more and more. More and more. Because this is what God is. God is giving us more. Non-stop, unlimited, unending, never changing love. Love more widely. More people. Love more deeply. Love with more actions. Love with more commitments. Overflow your love with, for one another, for each other, for all in the family, for everyone. And what a privilege 
for those to those who are so special. The poor, the disadvantaged, the sick, the old, the widow. So special to God's heart. There are two more things I want to say about this love. The first thing is that uh, in verse, the first verse, that your love increase and overflow for each other from for everyone else, just as ours does for you. As I was reading this, it hits me. Paul was saying that the love that I want you to have, the increase, the overflowing love, I have set the examples as ours love for you. It speaks to us that we don't have to look at others first, especially leaders here. Us as leaders, we have to follow the example of Christ that others may become part of these actions of love. We are to live up God's love in our life, just as the Thessalonians did, just as Paul did. Paul then finished off this talk about love, talking about you need to work, mind your own business, work with your hands, and that your daily life may win the respects of outsider. You see, this the second thing I want, the last thing I want to say about this love is that there's a flip side to it. The flip side is that people, some of the people in Thessalonian church, are actually abusing that love. They're saying, "Oh, okay, others are working, they're loving us. I can sit back, I can depend on them for the food and the needs, while I wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ." Paul says, "Stop." Stop those nonsense. Stop talking about, you know, into the teen air about all this. Do it with your hands. Alright? Don't go around and, and just talk, talk, talk. So that you gain the respect. And that's part of abusing love. It's also important. Now, I don't know about the time. Uh, uh, I, I, I have the second part, <laughs> which is I try to wrap it up. Ten minutes? Okay? Okay. Yeah. The second thing that Paul says besides love is live a holy life. Well, Paul prayed that uh, the Lord will strengthen their hearts so that they will be blameless and holy. Because that's the two parts. God is love. God is holy, holy, holy. And God wants us as new creation, as his new people to be like him, to grow like him. And so Paul has to this one-month-old Christian said, this, this, these are the two essence that you have to have. God wants us to be holy. Being sanctified, is the, the, the verse says there. Being sanctified mean, mean, mean being holy is, is, is meaning to be clean. Okay? To, li- to, to live without sin. To be set apart for God. We are to be totally dedicated and committed to God. Now, it will be impossible to live a life that is completely sinless. I know that. You know that. For no one is able to do that. Only Jesus did that because only he could. And that's why he is the only one who did offer himself as our atonement, as our payment for our sins. However, Paul was actually saying here, I think he was saying here, is that yes, totally, in His grace, in Jesus, His grace, 
we come to have faith. We can come to have faith in God. So too, in His grace, we can and we are to live in faith, to live faithfully in holiness. Being sanctified is a process, becoming more and more like Christ. Being holy is becoming set apart for God. It is to offer myself completely to Him, to be totally committed to Him. Well, in this passage, Paul zooms in on one sinfulness that will blemish, that will ruin a holy living, and that is sexual immorality. Well, Paul, in this passage and in all other passages, uh, did not put sex down as a bad thing. He never did that. He was, however, telling the young uh, Thessalonian uh, believers that God has gifted them sex to be used in the right place, in the right relationship, and in the right way. And in a way, as you can see in this uh, thing, in this uh, passage here, in a way that is holy and honorable, and not to be used or abused like the pagans with their lust that did that. You see, the pagan has this uh, philosophy, and it is expressed such, in such a way. He said, we do not, the pagans say that we do not share our table with all, but we share our bed. You know, the pagans in the Macedonian area, and in the Greek, in the Roman Empire, that's what they do. The culture at that stage was money is sacred. We will hold our table. We will hold what we have got, our abundance, our money. We do not share them. We do not give away such things. That's material abundance is ours to own. But sexuality, yeah, you know, it's free. We will give this freely. You know, it was okay. It was the norm, especially for men. You know, in this pagan culture, and I do not have time to go into this, some men would, in fact, a lot of men, would have three or four different types of women. The first one is the wife, the gaini. Okay. The second one is uh, the hetaria, uh, who is who are who are the mistress, uh, mistresses who who are intellectually pretty much similar, who can stimulate your mind and your your way your life, and and they're kind of that sort of woman that they go to and they're long relationship with them. And the third time is is they're called the polakas, who, who are woman servant that you have sex with. These are like your concubines, okay? And so you have your wife, your mistress, your concubine, and finally your your prostitute that you visit on occasion. That sort of uh, culture was in that place, and that's why Paul tells the Thessalonians, "You have come out of that culture. You do not live like this. We share our table. We do not share our bed. It's a total flip." from our culture. And today our culture is like that. We, though our society said, we share not our table, eh, that we can share. And we live in that society and we have to say, we turn that around. We share not our bed. We share our table of abundance. You see, Paul said this is not what sex God has created sex for. God has created man and woman, husband and wife. A Christian man would live with his wife holy, in a holy way, set apart. Just her, and in an honorable way, in a way that honors her, that respects her. 
God has ordained marriage between a man and woman as the greatest of all human-to-human relationships, of all human-to-human intimacy. So much so that two shall become one. So intimate that they are melted into one. And sex is a vital part of this intimacy. Now, I'm going to say something which is uh, very important. So if you could, uh, it's a bit hard to grab. But for that intimacy, for that two to, to become one, to flourish and strengthen, and for you to be greatly rejoicing in it, you have to control, you have to strive, you have to aspire that your body is holy, that your body is set apart for that intimacy, that you are totally set apart cleanly for her and no one else. Okay? Learn to live with your wife in a way that is holy, that is honorable, and that brings honor to her and to your intimate relationship. You know why is that important? Because that principle is the same for any relationship and that principle is the same for God and me. We desire intimacy with God. Why does God want us to be holy, to be set apart for Him? Because without intimacy, without commitment, Without dedication, there is no intimacy. It is impossible. You have to be committed to be melted into one. Why am I not intimate with God? Why is God not intimate with me? Set yourself apart. Set your apart apart and God will move into Him. Our intimacy with God can only flourish hand in hand with our commitment to God. Without this holiness, without this setting apart for God, without this full desire for God and total commitment to God, this intimacy that we also desire with God would be blemished, would be somewhat damaged. And that awesome beauty, wonder and majesty of intimacy with God would be tarnished. That's why Paul said, live as God lives with love. God is love. Find intimacy with God. God is holy. God wants you to be set apart for Him. Brothers and sisters, I have plucked up the courage to say these things because we are so inadequate ourselves. We are so short of that benchmark. Do not for one minute imagine that anyone, including myself, especially myself, has been able to do that. But that is what God wants. But that is what the Bible tells us, the keys to godliness. The key to the heart of God. And so with that, Let us pray the same prayer that Paul has prayed at the beginning of this passage. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours 
does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Amen. Thank you.